Terrell. Hey, Deontay. Welcome to my podcast, Journey to Developer. I definitely had to bring you on. You are a female developer in my area. And I was, I'm just, you know, I admire you and everything that you do for our community. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, Norelle, tell us um, a little bit about your background. So you mentioned that I'm a developer in your area, but I'm actually originally from um, New York. So I grew up, I spent most of my childhood in the Bronx, actually. And it was five of us, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, just being a family. As a matter of fact, I come from a pretty large family. So my mom is one of 11 children and my dad is one of nine. And then you can imagine how many offspring come from a family that size. But yeah, it was just the five of us um, living in Bronx, you know, being a family, pretty quiet childhood. Also, do you currently reside in New Jersey? Yeah, I've lived here for about 12 years now. Awesome. East Orange. Awesome. And you live in um, the East Orange area, you said? I'm in South Orange. Oh, South Orange. Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm in East Orange. So that's great. We're, you know, we're both Jersey, we'll say developers at this moment. And can you tell us about one of your first real estate transactions? So there's a story behind that, actually. So like I mentioned, I, I was living in New York and I was living in an apartment that at the time I was renting for about $800 a month. It was a two bedroom apartment, which probably can't find that anywhere right now. And I remember telling myself, because there was a rent increase every year, I remember telling myself that as soon as this rent hits $1,000, I'm, I'm gone. And that's essentially what I did. So at the time, I was looking for three unit homes in New Jersey to live in and rent out the other two units. And I was looking for a while. And this was in 2000, let's say 2006, I started looking. And for some reason, I just couldn't find anything that I thought was livable enough for me. And so I said, you know what, if this really doesn't work out, then I think I'm just going to make the decision and purchase a single family home instead. And that's what I did. So in 2008, I purchased a single family home in South Orange. I still live in the same house, as a matter of fact. South Orange is a great area. Yeah. But I say that to say also that if I had stuck with moving into a multifamily at the time and renting a two unit, I probably would be yards away from where I am right now. Because what kind of resulted from that is what people are calling VER, right? The VER strategy, right. buy, rehab, rent, refi, and you repeat. Mm -hmm. And so um, that took me back about five years, but I really don't regret that because, you know, I did become a homeowner and I took that five years to just educate myself on um, what being a real estate investor is, what that would look like, and, and taking the steps to actually get to that point um, finally, which I did in awesome. 2014. Awesome. And I think that's incredible. At least you had the proper mindset going into becoming an investor. Mm -hmm. And I think mindset is very important. I feel a lot of people have a lot of fear. Even just taking that first step, step to become a homeowner in general, I commend you for you know, taking that step and then eventually going into investing, you would say, right? Building your portfolio. Yes. Awesome. When it comes to mindset, what type of mindset you think an individual should have stepping into real estate? It should definitely be a positive mindset. 
not to say that there won't be negative things or unforeseen things that occur, but um, you know, real estate investors should really kind of step out um, knowing that whatever they do not know, they will either learn, right. whether it's the hard way or, <laughs> or some other way, but that you know, the information and the, the next move will come to them. They just really have to take that first step. So um, having a positive mindset is definitely important, knowing that also failure is definitely I can, I can guarantee failure. Let's just say that. Um, I, will be, I will be frank. I can guarantee failure. Um, but knowing that along that way, there will also be successes. So as long as those successes outweigh the failures, that's really the ultimate goal, right? Because it's a learning process. And, you know, the name of your podcast is Journey to Developer, right? And so um, there is a journey in that, in that process, that failing process, and failing your way to success, as, the, as they say. I agree. And many of my failures during my, the beginning of my investing career had actually led me to being a developer. A lot of people know that I started out as an agent and I became a paralegal. And then ultimately I started wholesaling and I had a really bad wholesaling transaction and I lost like $40,000 on this deal. I mean, I didn't lose it, but it was money that didn't come into my pocket. Like I was set to make $40,000 on the transaction. And I had with that seller, like 12 houses on the contract. And I'm not going to get into the full story. <laughs> I mean, I did it on another podcast, but basically I was circumvented during that transaction. That seller took all of her deals away from me. It was just, it was a nightmare. But that made me realize I was selling out my community to people that were not from my community, to people that doesn't care about my community, that they just want to milk our communities for what it's worth and then even tell you, you can't live in my house. So that kind of changed my perspective mm -hmm. on being an investor, really building up my community the best way I knew how, taking control over who's, a, I'm not going to say who's allowed, but who is allowed to buy in my community rebuild revitalize my community and i was like that person could be me i'm the one finding the deals anyway so let me work on finding the money right to invest in these deals and that kind of changed the whole narrative like who i began renting to i had tenants that i was able to help i worked a lot with homeless families and it was just an amazing mind shift just that bad deal so again that situation that failure propelled me to what I believe my calling was to do. That's really a good example because um, I think when people really get into it, they'll realize, you know what? I made a mistake. It may have cost me financially. Mm -hmm. um, my ego might be a little you know, hurt at the moment, but I'm not, I'm not dead. You know, like I can actually do it again and make sure that I don't make the same mistakes. And so that's, that's the beauty of it. You can, you can kind of um, regroup, catch yourself and move forward. Yep. Awesome. And ultimately there was a lot of light in that dark period. I felt like I was going through. So I'm happy I was able to see the light, <laughs> the bigger picture, the message that God may have been trying to tell me at the time. So I thought that was amazing. And even in that moment, I found a real estate partner who was also a female investor. And she really had my back. She was like, here's my private money lender. 
let's start closing on some deals. And me and her built this sisterhood and, and partnership. And I always like to ask, have you ever had anybody on your journey that helped you or do you have a real estate partner? I don't have a partner. I have not partnered on any deals yet. And that's not for lack of trying, but it just didn't work out that way. Mm -hmm. um, have I had help from others? Absolutely. Because, you know, there were times in my, my, my path on my journey mm -hmm. where I just needed to ask for help. And right, so I sought right. I sought the assistance that, um, that I felt that I needed, which turned out to be really beneficial in order to help me move forward and complete projects, et cetera. So in terms of partnerships, no, not yet. But if I were to partner, um, and this is actually something that did cross my lap, but it just not, it just did not come to fruition. I would not be opposed to partnering with a general contractor. Okay. And the way that would work, at least with my development deals is, um, this would have to be a GC who has a significant amount of um, credit available to him that he could tap into. So essentially he would serve as the, the lender of sorts. Okay. Um, and he could charge me as a developer a certain interest rate on top of what he might be paying on his line of credit. Right. I would see the project through to fruition and he would, we would split the profits at the end. But the benefit of that is one, he would have more of a vested interest in the deal, right? He's not just coming on as a vendor or right. someone who's providing a service, but he actually has vested interest in seeing the project through to completion because his profit is dependent on that. So that's the type of partnership that I would probably consider. And then also, if I were to have a really large deal where the margins were pretty significant, I wouldn't mind partnering with someone on that as well and kind of sharing both the costs as well as the rewards. Yeah, I think that's a very clever idea. How do you normally find the funding for your project? One, I want to say I, I admire you even more because you do work a nine to five, right? I do. Yeah. yeah so that's amazing. And a lot of people in this real estate industry, a lot of these newbies and other investors, they glorify, oh, I don't have to work for nobody and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Why do you think it is important to keep your nine to five until, I mean, I'm sure at some point you will be able to retire if you choose to, but how has keeping your nine to five helped you become a real estate developer? Well, besides taking up a lot of my time, um, it, it does help me keep grounded because in investing and developing, there is a lot of planning that takes place, right? And that, that takes time. Sometimes, you know, a year, two years, depending on the size of the project. And if you do not have your business set up correctly where you have a lot of um, cash flow coming in to be able to, um, to pay for all of your, your living expenses, for example, you'd be SOL, essentially. Um, and so... <laughs> you're, 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 yes, absolutely. <laughs> And so, um, so what do you do in the meantime, right? You have to, a lot of people have to, um, have to work. And so for me, I am really actually um, gracious um, and thankful that I have a nine to five and I've had a nine to five essentially my entire working life. I actually work in, um, in the corporate space. And with that, I'm able to tap into my 401k, which I've done. I've been really creative. I've been able to, um, take out personal loans if I needed to. I've been able to establish business lines of credit. I've been able to 
increase my own personal credit lines. You know, I've been able to use that income to show to a lender that I am a, you know, stable um, person. Mm -hmm. and, and that's actually really helped me a lot. So it, it actually boosts my, um, my profile, I would say, um, in the investment space when speaking with lenders and consultants and things like that. So they see the income, they see that it's, it's um, coming in every month, they see the amount and they're saying, okay, this is someone that I could more than likely safely lend money to and they would pay me back. I do realize that those are all different streams of income through real estate, you know? And they, I all, I, for all of the incomes, even as a general contractor, I forgot to add, that was a stream of income that helped me and my fiance a lot during COVID. At the beginning of COVID, I was not showing anyone anything, okay? I had people calling me for houses, rentals, you name it. I refused to go outside. Um, so luckily, a lot of our projects were still going on and everything was calculated correctly where, you know, you can make money on your rehab and all that good stuff. And we also work on others' projects as well. So that kept the cash flow coming in. How do you feel about being a female in this male-dominated industry? Or is that even an obstacle for you? Oh, it's definitely an obstacle. Not for me, for the men in the industry. <laughs> good answer. Okay. Definitely a good, great answer. They <laughs> just okay. came for the fact that I'm in charge. Um, and that's... That's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. So how do I feel? Um, well, I, I ignore them um, because I have what is ultimately at the forefront of my mind, which is the completion of a project. Um, I have money tied up in these projects, time tied up in these projects, and I've hired them for a service. And they're typically, they are typically men, and that's, that's fine. Um, I've hired them for a service. And so, you know, really setting the expectation right. for how I would like the project to go, um, being communicative, following up constantly, doing my part to ensure that success of the project is really all that I can control, especially where gender is concerned. Um, right. Because a lot of times, you know, people think that they can get away with certain things because of their gender and mine. Right. And so, so, so yes, yeah, so that's really it in a nutshell. It's, it's really for them to get over and for me to move forward with because my gender is not going to change. And right. <laughs> there certainly isn't or may not. Right. Right. Yeah, literally. Um, I mean, I've come across that same type of issue. They don't really like the idea that you know, a female telling them what to do. And we're not going to mail bash or anything, but they also don't like, or they feel you need me to do this. And I'm like, kind of don't need you for anything. <laughs> you know, just like how I found you, I can replace you, you know. There's a lot of other people that I could work with. And it has to just be that mutual level of, of respect. But I've come across those type of attitudes or prideful, I don't know, mindsets from some of our counterparts. But some of them, they, they admire what I do. They do realize that I am a team with my uh, fiance. So that kind of helps. But sometimes he even tells them she's the boss. <laughs> you got to listen to her. You got to ask her. But I do realize what it is when it's happening. And so let's talk about some of your projects that you're working on. Or you have, well, let's talk about what you have worked on or have developed 
over the last couple of years, um, if you don't mind. Sure. So I stepped into development actually after investing in buy and hold properties in Newark. At the moment, I strictly focus in Newark for various reasons, but one of the main reasons is because it's right in my, my backyard. For people who are unfamiliar with this area, Newark, South Orange, East Orange, we all, you know, border um, each other. We have boundaries that touch. And so it just made sense. It's close to home. I can get to my projects quickly. And then also the market was a market that I could afford to, to invest in. Right. With regards to development, I, I focus on small residential homes. And what that is, is two or three family homes, at least at the moment. Um, I haven't done any single family homes yet. And I likely probably won't um, because Newark has mostly multi units properties and it's a big rental area. And so, you know, you stick with what the market pretty much dictates, which is two, three, four family homes. And then of course there are also larger multifamilies in the city. My first project was a two family home okay. in what people consider to be a fairly rough area. I actually stepped out on my own. So not only have I not had partners, but for every deal that I've done, which I have to say are not many, but they've been quality. Right. Um, it was just me. So I was the face. I was doing the property management for my buy and holds. I was the one who found, you know, the funds. I was the one who screened the tenants, showed them the, um, the apartments. I was the one who collected the rent. I was the one who went through evictions if I needed to, at least for my buy and holds. And then for my development projects, it's the same. Um, single member LLC deals where I'm the one who is getting funding and doing all of the hiring um, and ensuring that the project go smoothly, which sometimes never happens, but um, I'm, I'm the face essentially for, for my projects. So my, my first project was a two family home and that project took longer than it was supposed to and it cost me more than it was supposed to. Okay. Do you mind going over the numbers? Just so, you know, the audience could get an idea of what goes into a development project. What are you doing to analyze the numbers? How much you bought the lot for? The cost to build? The returns, if you don't mind sharing. So with that project, because it took so long, I would have to cough that up to an outlier, right? And and kind of start fresh with the next project, knowing that I have like a, a better team in place and, and I know what I'm doing now. But what I can tell you is that I bought the land for 16000 Okay. And I bought the land before I even knew anything about development. Mm. I wanted to just try it. I wanted to just try it. I had been investing in Newark for some time and I wanted to build my portfolio, but the properties that I was seeing just weren't up to par. I really like to think that I'm purchasing properties or building properties that I myself would live in. And so I said, you know what, I'll, I'll try a development. So I started looking for lots. Um, so this first lot I purchased for 16000 Did my education, you know, hired an architect, got plans together, and then still kind of sat because I, I was scared. Right. And that's fair, <laughs> that's fair. But you took the first step, you know? Yeah, I was like, Noel, do you really, do you really want to do this? And I did. So I got the architect and started learning the building and um, the building process, you know, liaising with people within City Hall, making sure that I knew who the players were, that sort of thing. 
And then I, I went out and I got a referral for general contractors. So 16,000, the contract was um, for 270, 275,000 to build at the time. And let's just say that that's not what happened. Mm. Um, my appraisal came in at the time, though, actually, because I was looking, I was looking forward. Like I knew what Newark was going to, right. to look like in the next one to two years. And a lot of appraisers come from other communities and they just, they stereotype, right? right. And, and at the time, actually, there was not a lot of new construction going on. So they were pulling new construction from across the city, in the North Ward, for example, where we know that the neighborhoods are a little bit different, but, right. and then reducing the appraisal amount. So those were some of the factors that I had to, I had to, um, to consider in that first deal. Right. And of course, that affected the loan that I was able to get, the loan amount that I was able to get. So in a nutshell, um, I did ultimately sell that property for three seventy-five. It would have been a buy and hold, uh, a hold actually. I, I intended to keep it, but because it took too long, um, there were delays, and also I had outlaid so much money that I wanted to recoup it quick quicker. Right. I ultimately sold sold the property. Sold the property for three seventy-five. I did walk away with some some okay. money, which is good. So that I was about to say that was as long as you're not in a negative, that's a win. You did it. It got done. It got done. It was a win. I, I think that's amazing. For first project, yeah, it was a good, um, it was a good learning experience. I mean, I really went to school on that one. Good. Um, it was an expensive schooling. <laughs> I, I bet. So since then, and what year was that in? Um, that was 2017, 2018. I actually went through a few general contractors on that project. Too. Oh, no. Tell us about that. How did you know you had to fire the first one is the real question. I, huh? I said, how did you know you had to fire the first contractor is the real question. Well, it's interesting because that general contractor was actually a referral from someone who is well-connected within um, the political world. Hmm. And so you can imagine that when this person contacted me and said, hey, you know what, I know I referred you to this contractor, but I need to show you something that they done on a property and I just got wind of this information. So we went back into um, another property that they were looking, they were working on actively. And there was just so many mistakes because he would have bungled my project for sure. At least he was honest to tell you that I I don't think you should move forward with him. Check out what he's doing over here. So that was a blessing, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. That was, that was something that I definitely avoided. Thank Thankfully. Right. So then you had to find another contractor. Found another contractor who was also referral and had to fire him as well. <laughs> no. no, I hate that. I hate that. Oh gosh. <sighs> yeah, it's it's bad. But but I fired him while you know after he'd already completed um, some of the work. Okay. Um, yeah, that just didn't really work out. I, you know, it it brings me to the point that yes you're failing your way through to success yes you're making mistakes along the way right but having a team in place that is really going to operate with integrity yes. that they are going to communicate um with you that they're going to be honest it's okay. so important and a lot of times you just can't detect that when you're 
looking for people. And I'm sure they're, you know, very senior developers, people who have been in the game for decades that sometimes things that just kind of happen to them and they're like, what did I, what did I miss? So, right. so for, I say that to say for newbies out there who are making mistakes, it's, it's okay. Like it, it happens even to the most seasoned yeah. developers yeah. as well. Yep. And I mean, at least you have the willpower to keep moving like you and you got it done ultimately you had to unfortunately go through a few contractors but you still got it done you didn't give up you could have just said man forget this but she was like nope i'm gonna see it to the end you made it to the finish line you were able to sell it make a profit and you went on to did you build any other houses after that or you're working on your next project now i'm actually working on my next project now which I love the renderings for. It's a beautiful house. I actually saw it. It's been, I mean, I've seen it since last year. And I even was like, well, who's this architect? And who's the, who did the rendering? It, so it was, it was great. And I'm sure it's going to be a great project, but I'll let you finish. Yeah, you know, thank you. Um, I actually really take a lot of pride in having um, a vision for what my properties would look like as well. And like I said, these are properties that I would want to live in myself. And so um, I'm working on that project right now. And um, in the process, I'm pushing myself and I'm saying, you know what, Narelle, let's see how much more you can scale. The right. first project kind of set you back a little bit. Um, but now, in addition to the one that I'm actively working on, I have another three that I'm planning. They will be three families in York as well, in the West Ward. And um, the goal is to see whether or not I can build all three at the same time. They're on the same block. And so um, that's really something that I'm pushing myself to complete simultaneously. That's beautiful. And how important do you think it is for you to be, to, one, active in the neighborhood, know, knowing what's going on politically in your community? How does that play into development? How do you think the two correlate or why is it important? It's extremely important um, because, well, one, people want to know who their, their collaborators are, right? So I consider myself a collaborator with the um, city of Newark. Right. And in, in being a collaborator, I have introduced myself to employees within um, City Hall. Um, I have let them let it be clearly known exactly what I would like to do and bring to Newark and see if they can help me. And, um, you know, just networking. I, I think it's, um, it's, it's something that's important, whether it's in the public sphere or the private sphere. And so in terms of um, getting things done, you really want these, these people to be on your side, right? You want them rooting for you. And, um, and they are able to see that it's a win-win across the board, right? So they get what they want in terms of their city initiatives. They get those completed through developers like me. Mm -hmm. um, it's a win-win across the board. I it doesn't hurt to, to, learn, to know a politician. Definitely doesn't hurt. Um, you know, as developers, our goal, I think, and some may not agree, but our goal really is to not only get our projects through, but to help make them look good as well in doing so. And, you know, people may not be as upfront and say that, but that's essentially what it is. That's the type of relationship that it is. And they're going to root for you as long as you're doing things that meet the needs of their constituents. I agree a thousand percent. I'm actually also a designated developer for the city of Newark. 
and East Orange, and I'm working on Ohio. And even in Ohio, I mean, not for nothing, for Newark, I worked with a couple of councilmen who I went to them. I said, this is what I want to bring back to Newark. I grew up in Newark, went to high school in Newark. This is what I want to do for my city. Now that I'm in this development space, and they were like, let's do it. And I've seen, we're seeing the south water of Newark change. We're seeing the whole entire Newark change before our eyes. To the neighborhood, lifting and they're, you know, vitalizing and making their neighborhood pretty is definitely going to help them in their political space. And I do feel like there's a lot of um, great councilmen and women who really do care about, the, one, preserving the culture of Newark. Mm-hmm. And two, making sure Newark is being revitalized by the people of Newark. I think it's great. And, and I see the same, I'm getting the same vibe in uh, Cleveland, Ohio as well. Like those politicians or councilmen out there, I mean, they met with me during a pandemic. <laughs> so that, that speaks volumes. They was driving me to land that, that was available, that is available, schools that are abandoned. And that just speaks volumes to me. Like, I wouldn't meet with nobody in a, during a pandemic. <laughs> we broke bread, we hugged, we shook hands. And I thought that was amazing. So yeah, I think politics definitely goes hand in hand with real estate and development. And also economic development. It, you know, it ties in to real estate development. I think we talked about funding projects. Now, you said you normally, how do you fund your projects? It, I don't think we answered that specifically. Well, you I, go to banks, right? Yes. So, yeah. So, I, um, I've actually used hard money okay. for my development deals. Okay. And I have used conventional financing for my buy and holds. Awesome. Awesome. So I think, you know, some of our listeners may want to know, um, and, I, and I, I know I'm going to talk about this in the future in even more detail, like what they look for, what their calculations are, but typically from what I gathered, and things have changed during um, COVID and probably from when you did your last deal or even maybe during the deal you're doing now, um, but they, I do know they typically look for a decent spread. So like 60 maybe 65% of the ARV. Some lenders may do up to 75, but not so much anymore after, after the coronavirus has came along. So that's good to know. I supplement with you know, private lending. So for example, I've hit the bank of mom um, yeah. a few times. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> you know, um, and then, like I said, I have 401k that I've tapped into several times and personal loans that I've taken out as well, just to kind of fill those, those gaps, whoever they may be. Right. Um, so I've definitely had loans from family members to, to help me if I need them. Awesome. And what skills do you think you developed during your real estate development journey? Um, I would say the number one was patience. Um, oh. <laughs> patience because, you know, with development, like you can, you can only plan, but so well, you can plan an entire project, but any number of things can, can delay your project. So, so patience, having the patience to stop if you have to and pivot, reassess to some resolutions and then decide on what the next step forward would be and keep moving, right? So, um, so patience, definitely one of them. But I will say though, that in terms of skills that I already had, which 
we're transferable. I actually work in big pharma currently. And so I work on clinical trials. Okay. And what that, what, what my role is really is a clinical trial manager. And in that role, I have to bring people together, teams together, get these clinical trials up and running, identify who the team members are that should be getting certain tasks completed. It's like a project management role in a way, but on the clinical side, right. we have to budget, we have to identify um, financing from you know, other departments. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to work according to timelines. We have a lot of deliverables. And so, so as someone who is responsible for the operations of a particular clinical trial, I would say that those skills definitely came in handy when stepping into development and having to, you know, hire GCs and other subcontractors if necessary, putting my timelines together, my development budget together, speaking to the correct or, you know, the right people for a particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are things that I was familiar with already in my, my day to day, which is good. Awesome. Awesome. And if I can just add, um, if I can just add that, Development does not require formal education, and that's the beauty of being a developer, right? It's something that you can decide to do no matter what industry you previously worked in or did not, and you can develop those, those necessary skills by, you know, doing your homework, educating yourself, speaking to the right people, networking, etc. And so if someone feels that they don't have the right skills, they can, they can develop them. They can work on, work on them, identify what they are, identify what your strengths are, recognize what your weaknesses are, and then have someone fill that gap. Agreed. I, I totally agree with that. Um, delegation is important because <laughs> you can't do everything. And in many cases, if I could delegate a whole project, I will. <laughs> because sometimes I'm even at the point where I don't think I'm going to do any more rehabs anymore. Like, it's just... Yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> it's funny you said that because I I skipped that step. Like I didn't I didn't want to do rehabs because it gave me the icks. Like I just mm-hmm. I don't I don't I didn't want to walk into anybody's building <laughs> or house and try to figure out what I just didn't. Yeah. So I I made I made a contradict a contradict um, choice not to not to renovate right. at all. And um, so what are, your, what are your reasons for not doing rehabs? If, I'm just curious. I'm just over. <laughs> no, honestly, <laughs> you know, you, it's a lot of hiring and firing. Even if you are in control as the GC, I'm not damn, banging hammers. And my fiance can't do everything. Um, so you have to hire subs. And sometimes they just don't do the work. They're half-stepping. And I need everybody to match my energy or my fiance's energy. So I just know that if it's not something where I literally just have to replace floors or a bathroom just to give it a facelift or a kitchen just to do a facelift, I don't want no parts of it. Yeah. Going forward, I'll only be doing land development. I have a business plan where we'll be doing prefab modular homes and we have a company that'll take care of it and deliver it and that's it <laughs> and it's, it's probably a cheat sheet or a cheat code but it is what it is at least we're we're doing something with the land we're putting people of our from our community in the homes we're making sure they can get the homes they're 
going to get affordable home loans and all that great stuff. That's all I really care about is the production, putting the product out quickly and keeping it moving. And some of these rehabs, you'll be stuck in there for five months, six months. Where do you see yourself going with real estate? What's your five-year plan? Where do you see yourself in five years? So I have a strategic plan that I actually need to go back and take a look at and probably revise it. I really would like to get into commercial real estate development at some point, but for right now, I'm okay with staying in the small residential space, you know, just continue to do infill development. There's so many vacant lots in just, you know, this area alone that I can just really, you know, play around with, um, see how many I can get. Um, but you know, I, I haven't really put a specific number mm -hmm. of properties or a specific dollar amount as to where I want to be in five years to tell you the truth. So, um, yeah, I need to really take another look at my strategic plan. What I can say though, is that although I'm very, again, thankful that I have been fully, um, employed this entire time, I really would like to step into development full time. Awesome. So hopefully that will occur if I if I really plan properly, that will occur within the next five years. That would be great. Awesome. And I know you could do it and you will do it. So I think that's amazing. I love that goal. I need to even tap into my strategic five-year plan as well. I do know the amount of houses I want to build, but I feel like I need to really orchestrate how I'm really gonna get there. Anybody can say, yeah, I want to do a thousand of this or two of that but how what are you what are the actual steps it's going to take for me to get to that level in the next five years so we'll be doing <laughs> our business plans all over together because um i need to set realistic goals and that's in every uh business or every part of real estate that i'm in i think realistic goals have to be set even if i need to as a realtor let's say if i'm trying to get 10 listings every year, how many people do I need to call or how many people does my assistant need to call to help me get to that goal? So I think that's, that's definitely wise. This was great. Yeah, it was, I mean, I had fun. Me too. We have to do it again. We have to meet in person soon. You are working on a project that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing in its entirety and in, in, in its completion. I'll be stopping by the job site whenever you let me know it's okay we should be back up tomorrow actually if you okay. have time tomorrow um or you know any other day this week that should work okay yeah awesome so i'll definitely check it out we'll get a vlog <laughs> at some point together and maybe once it's done we can even do a walkthrough so we can see the progress of your project thanks for being my first guest on journey to develop her and again as i stated before i'm really going to take people on one the journey of my real estate experience but also on the journey of other men and women's journeys right so everybody has a different journey of how they got into real estate how they became a developer i'm here to showcase that Narell. also Narell, tell us the name of your company new age investing properties is the name of the company. That's also where um, people can find me on Facebook, New Age Investment Properties, and on Instagram, New Age Props. Awesome. And I, she's definitely been posting a lot of content 
on land development. So I, I encourage everybody to check that out. And, you know, there's a lot of great tips and pointers on there. And do you have any last advice for anyone looking to become a real estate developer? Yes, I, I would say it's okay to start small. Um, you know, a lot of people think that they can just jump in and do a really large deal and maybe they can because of connections that they might have, but they really need to assess, do they have the education? Do they have the, the appropriate skill set to really bring a project like that to fruition? And it's okay to start small, learn, make your mistakes, um, you know, put one foot ahead of the other and, 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 and just do it that way. It, it's, it's not about the quantity. It's about really the quality of the product. And I would like to say that um, I, I think that what sets us apart, and I actually I put you there too, Deontay, is the fact that um, you know, we're putting products on the market that people really would want to live in, enjoy, um, have families and build themselves up in and, and not move. Right. And so so that's really what I take pride in being able to do that. And I think that um, anyone who is thinking of becoming a developer, they can start small and still achieve that that goal. Agreed. And I always tell people never put out a product that you yourself cannot live in. You know, every product or every apartment or house that I rent or I show or whatever, if I can't live there myself or I feel like my daughter can't walk barefooted on the floor, I would never put that out to another person's family. So as developers, I know, I think I read on your page, and I know this is a part of my plan as well, is to offer affordable luxury houses, right? In our communities. So again, I'm looking forward to collaborating, hopefully, but just seeing uh, your project come to pass. Great, thank you. All right, well, it was great. Have a great day. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, Deontay. You too. Bye. Bye.